going to be brought to us by Madeline Wright, who is a student at Gadsden State Community College, and she is going to sing the Lord's Prayer for us. This Sunday, we were in Sunday school, my wife and I were in Sunday school, and we were sitting kind of on the back row, all, all the prime seats are in the back row, um, and uh, Harriet was uh, teaching that day, and we were talking about these services coming up, and she said, now, uh, Monday we're having Matt Alexander from the Baptist Church, and she said, and then, uh, and she looked right back at my Tammy and me sitting and she said, and Tuesday Tammy's preaching and my wife's eyes got this big. She said, what? And I said, no, not, not you, the other Tammy. Uh, my wife only preaches to me. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to, uh, to hearing Tammy Jackson. Um, she is director of the Family Success Center. She also uh, is a spiritual guide and coach. And she has, I don't know how many things going on in her life, but one of those is she is also a great preacher. So, Tammy, will you come and share with us? So it's 
Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. For many of us, this is not our first Easter, not our first celebration as a believer. I have pictures of myself going back to when I was two in little Easter clothes. And you remember when we used to wear the gloves and the little hats for Easter? And I have those cute little pictures when I used to get the cute little girls and do that. And this is at least my 41st Easter as a believer since I professed faith in Jesus Christ. One might think that as we take the same journey with the same verses every single year, that it would become old hat, that it would get old. We would know what was coming, and we would somehow become a little bit callous, a little less sensitive to it. And yet every single year, this journey to the cross and to the empty tomb captures me once again. Every year it seems that there's something in the story that captures me in a slightly different way, and I think that's what it means for the Word of God to be active and alive for us. And this year, what's captured me have been the crowds. There are lots of crowds in the story of Jesus' journey to resurrection. There's a crowd on Palm Sunday shouting Hosanna as he enters the city. There's a crowd shouting crucify him on Friday. There's even a crowd that gathers to watch as he's nailed to the tree and hangs there between heaven and earth as the permanent bridge between the two. And we often hear about how these are the same crowds that those who heralded him on Sunday have turned against him by Friday. I'm not entirely sure that there are the exact same crowds. The Bible says that the group on Sunday were other pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for the festival, and it seems that most of the crowd on Friday tends to be Jerusalemites, the locals, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are jealous and angry, and those who follow them, who listen to them from their perspective, and who can be whipped into a frenzy by them. We often criticize these crowds. We like the idea that those on Sunday might have known what they were doing, the Messiah has come. And we cut him some slack for not understanding what kind of Messiah he was. Not the political leader that they were seeking, but the suffering servant that many of them could.
couldn't even fully envision. We're pretty hard on the Friday crowd, those stupid saps, mindless sheep, following along, carried along by their religious leaders who hate Jesus, and they're just persuaded by the sheer numbers of people shouting crucify him, and they get involved. I think perhaps we're a little too easy on the Sunday crowd and perhaps too hard on the Friday crowd. Or maybe we should just be equally hard on each because hasn't Jesus been telling us who he is? From moment after moment, story after story, miracle after miracle, tear after tear, he's been telling us who he is and neither of these crowds seems to have seen interesting dynamics. It's really easy to get caught in a crowd. Being part of a crowd gives us a sense of inclusion instead of rejection, of belonging instead of loneliness. By having the right hair cut, the right clothes, the right car, we feel more confident. By belonging to the biggest tribe of people, we must be right because that many people couldn't be wrong. Trends become trends. Because we want belonging. Everyone likes to have a place where they belong. And after all, that many people couldn't be wrong. There must be some rightness and consensus. And yet, while there's nothing inherently wrong about discovering something we genuinely like because someone else has already discovered it, there is something wrong when we mistake the crowd when we mistake the power of numbers for being right. This is the reason our own founding fathers as Americans created a checks and balances system, why they created a republic instead of a pure democracy, because sheer numbers of people can be wrong. Crowds can be wrong. They can be sincerely and innocently mistaken. Sometimes the crowd can even be evil. Sunday's Hosanna crowd was probably innocently mistaken. Friday's crowd could possibly be labeled evil, I suppose. Yet among them, among both of those crowds, were probably people who were innocent, guilty only of just not knowing the full story. What is our obligation to know the truth before we go along with the are we not equally guilty sometimes of not knowing the whole story, of not seeing the truth, of just following a denomination or a political party, of just following public opinion, of wanting to belong and to fit in in the office and in the school and in the club and in the community, of liking and forwarding or believing whatever comes across our Facebook feed and we share it. It must be popular. It must be true. I'm so guilty sometimes of being part of a crowd. A crowd that can be wrong. A crowd which might be mistaken. A crowd which even possibly could be evil. In today's passage, we have a crowd of Greeks who come to see Jesus. Actually, it's not a crowd at all. I've checked out the language in the Greek. They made me take those Greek classes in seminary. They should be good for something. So, but I have to dig out five books to figure out what they're telling me. 
That's what the class really taught me to do. But as I checked out the word translated, there were some among those who went up. And if I parse those words apart for myself, I think the better translation might be, among the Greeks were certain of them who wanted to see Jesus. The implication is that it's more than a couple, but certainly less than a crowd. Not the whole group. There's a few people. There's not a crowd. But they come and they want to see Jesus. And I immediately wonder, why do they want to see Jesus? Or rather, what do they want to see of Jesus? Do they want to see the miracle worker? The one who fed the 4,000 and the 5,000? The one who returns sight to the blind and makes the lame to walk? Who raised Lazarus from the dead? Do they want to see the teacher who teaches with authority? Do they want to see the rising political star of Sunday's parade? Do they want to see the one who challenges both the Roman government and defies the Jewish temple leaders? The rebel, the heretic, the teacher, the man. And what do they want from him? Association? An autograph? The ancient version of taking a selfie? The ability to tell their kids and their grandkids that I once met Jesus Christ. Why do they want to see him? What does it mean to see Jesus? There's a story told of Anthony the Great, who we mostly know as St. Andrew, a four-century leader of the Egyptian monastic movement. He lived in the desert, and people sought his wisdom. And there's a story of a, a, an older monk and a young novice who travel once a year out into the desert to find Andrew and to ask questions. And while they're there, the older man peppers him with questions continually, seeking out his advice on what it means to have a life of prayer and to be a disciple and to understand scripture and to lead other people. And all the while, the younger man simply stands silently. And after many years of making this pilgrimage, St. Anthony finally turns to the young man who's not so very young anymore and says, why do you keep coming if you never ask a question? And his reply was, it is enough to see you. I wonder if any of those people in Sunday's crowd saw Jesus. Yes, there was a man on a donkey and there were palm branches and cloaks thrown on the ground and there were praises being shouted. But did they see the one on the donkey? Did they see him? If they saw him again, would they have recognized his face? Without all of the rest of it. Perhaps you've been where someone famous, some star has been. If you're gathered, people are gathered in front of a building with lots of cameras, or we're all waiting on a sidewalk, we think, ooh, somebody important, somebody famous is fixing to show up here, and we'll often get in the crowd so we can see who that person is so that we can say we were there. I once got stopped and saw a presidential motorcade coming through Birmingham. It's a pretty impressive sight as they go by, but there is no way you could see 25 black cars whizzing by you and not know that there was something happening. But I might not have been able to recognize many of the people who got out of those cars. 
wouldn't recognize any of the Secret Service running alongside them. I wonder if they saw Jesus. Did they see his face? Did they see his heart? Would they have recognized him if he'd been at the well? Would they have recognized him praying in the garden? Did they see him? I wonder, even if some of those same people were present on Friday and they saw him brought out before the crowd, the crowd would ask, what would you have me do with him? And they began to yell, crucify him. How many of them recognized him? How many went, wait, wait, wait. Wait, that's, that's the man from the donkey a few days ago. What happened between then and now? What have I missed? Now, it's true he might have looked a little different physically. We know he had been slapped and possibly a little more beaten and had some of his beard pulled out during his Sanhedrin trial. He's now been turned over to the Roman guards, and certainly they had a history of being a little bit brutal with prisoners. Even if physically he had not looked different, did they see the same man? It appears the temple leaders never saw Jesus for who he was. They only saw the one who threatened the way they'd always done it and the way things have always been. Who threatened their popularity, their religious celebrity status, and the power that came with that. His disciples didn't even really see him. It was only in hindsight that they were able to put the pieces together and truly understand what they had been seeing night and day for three years. It makes me suspect that seeing Jesus is a little harder than simply standing quietly. It requires us to look closely, to listen carefully, to engage, to give of ourselves to pour out ourselves at the foot of the cross the way Jesus poured himself out for us. The story never tells us whether or not these who come in the passage today ever actually get to see Jesus, at least before they see him being yelled at to be crucified by a crowd or dragging a cross down the Via Dolorosa to Golgotha. But they wanted to. They came wanting to see Jesus, and perhaps, just perhaps, sometimes it's enough just to want it. It reminded me of a prayer by Thomas Merton. I wanted to share a portion of it with you. He penned the prayer, My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain till it were end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm doing your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. Do we really see Jesus? Do we really see who he is and what he asks of us? Do we see someone that has something we need do we reach out to touch the hem of his garment in desperation for being whole? Do we see someone that accepts the woman at the well that is outcast and the woman caught in adultery? Do we see someone who accepts and loves all? Because that's what I 
see. I see love. The Bible says God is love. And Jesus is God come in the flesh. I see someone who accepted the sinner and rejects the self-righteous, who loves the least and turns over the tables of those with the most, the most power, the most money, the most assurance that they have all the right answers. The one who, just as his mother prayed in the Magnificat, would turn the world upside down. Or rather, would turn it right side up. The way it was intended to be. The way it was not in our fallen state. Who would it usher in a time when the first would be last and the last would be first in that line? I see a love that calls us out of the crowd. A love that calls us out of being popular, out of going with the status quo, out of doing what everyone else may be doing, and calls us to come and follow him. To be willing to lose our lives that we might have it in eternity. To serve him that we might find ourselves made whole. To suffer alongside him for the sake of the world that God created and the people that he came to die for. We as human beings are far too quick to want to draw a circle and count people out. And Jesus seems to keep drawing the circle bigger. Every time we draw one and put somebody on the outside, he makes it bigger. Edwin Markham, an American poet of the first half of the 20th century, wrote a little verse you've probably heard called Outwitted. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, a rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Who do we see when we see Jesus? When others are shouting Hosanna, who do we see riding into the city? When others cry crucify him, who do we see? In those quiet moments, when his Holy Spirit prompts us and calls us out of the crowd, who do we see? May this Holy Week, may we see Jesus. As my closing prayer, I want to offer words from the Book of Common Prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name, be glorified.